Ball shoot save. Smith the rebound stop. Another try. They score. Braden McNabb, his first of the year. Two to one Golden Knights. Live from the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas studios and live at LVSportsNetwork.com. Out of the net, extra passing. Smith settles. His shot knocked down. It's a loose puck in front. Now Smith scores. This is the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show, your destination for inside access with the team, exclusive player interviews, and breaking news from around the National Hockey League. Here's your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. And welcome into the VGK Insider Show, Fox Sports Las Vegas. No, Darren and Ryan, we've hit the midway point of the week, hump day. And still no personalized intro. I know. I'm well, kind of disappointed. Well, I thought about it, but I was like, eh, it's only a week. But you know what? Maybe maybe I should I should have one for tomorrow and Friday just to make us for feel good. For some self-respect. Yes, just to make you and I feel good. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll have one made. You uh, can't rely on other people to make yourself feel good. You got to do that yourself. Yes, yes. Let's pump ourselves up. So uh, Chris Chapman, Lindsey Brown rolling with you here on Wednesday, February 1st. Can you believe it's already the first day of February. I'm glad because January is like the longest month of all time. It feels like it takes it. forever to get through. It really does because you're 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 still going through that holiday slump, right? Mm-hmm. Because the holidays are over. And I am the opposite of a Grinch. I'm a Grinch when I hear Christmas songs before Thanksgiving. I agree with but, you. But once Thanksgiving hits and I enjoy my my turkey and my my time with my mom and my wife and my son. And I do a little Black Friday shopping, a little matinee action at T-Mobile Arena. The Golden Knights always seem to play on Black Friday. I get in the spirit, and I love it. Mm-hmm. I am. I. I. How long does the tree stay up after the fact, though? Um, you know what's funny? I. I. I follow Swedish tradition, mm. even though I have no. I was gonna sw- say you're, yeah. you're my people. <laughs> no, no. I, I'm, Those are my people. I'm. I'm. English, Irish, and and Italian. Although my my mom's mom would tell me I'm also Sicilian, she would argue and fight with me that Sicily is is its own nationality, and I'm like, uh, no, it's not. She's not like, the census in our neck of the woods. Yeah. So I'll tell you that Don't right now. Do you make a problem with me? And I talk to you about Sicily. That's that that was my my grandmother, but uh, terrible impression. Um, yeah. So Chris Chapman, Lindsey Brown, with you here on a Wednesday in. The Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas studio. Finley Chevrolet on the 215 Beltway, home of the... Woo! There we go. Lindsay holding it down. The integrity of Three the Three in a row, woo. baby. Yeah. Three in a row. I'm, I'm going to feel bad when Darren and Ryan come back and I have to live up to the the the, the bar that you have They're raised. have to live up to this show in general. We've got fans reaching out to us I left saw, and yeah, right on the yeah. social meeds. You know, Tweeting at roll. us. Yeah, I, I've, I've had people tell me that... that we're you just know. guest artists here, guys. Yeah, we're we're like this is um, a limited installation. Yeah, but but I've had I've had fun, and I think we're gonna have some fun today. We are. Uh, we've got Natalie Snodgrass coming up. She is a member of the Minnesota Whitecaps. Also, someone you know very well. Yeah, one of my buddies from back in the day. I, I coached her up a little bit. When you're just kind of in the community up there, you kind of end up playing and coaching people at the same time. And so it was really great to catch up with her early this morning. She had uh, she has to go to work before she goes to practice, and so we had to fit it in with her schedule. But a really good conversation on the way with her. Yeah, that's that's super cool because you, you, you caught up with her this morning, yep. and I feel terrible. Don't. Because, because life does happen, and this this is the joys of parenthood. My son, I talk about him all the time. He's 15. 
Uh, me and his mom are divorced, and let's just say we don't have the best of relationships, and we don't exactly communicate very well. So I texted his mom yesterday. Usually he, he'll come to my place on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Mm-hmm. I have him four days a week. Sometimes she drops him off on Tuesday night. Sometimes she doesn't. So my kid, he was in Taiwan two weeks ago. His great-grandmother passed away, Atso. Sorry to hear that. An incredible woman. Like, I, like I, I really used to enjoy being around her. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, she lived through World War II in the Pacific. Uh, she did not speak Mandarin, which is interesting because she's from Taiwan, but she only spoke Taiwanese and she spoke Japanese because when she was growing up, Taiwan was a colony of Japan. So the, my, my poor son is in Taiwan. He's there for eight days. By the time he gets adjusted to to the flight change and or the time change in Taiwan, he's he's already getting ready to come back. He's in the he's in Las Vegas for two days, and then he's got to fly to Buffalo for a school function. So the poor kid never had the chance to get back on a, a normal sleep schedule. So I come home last night. My son is nowhere to be found. I have no idea where he is. I text him. I'm like, "Hey, are you coming?" Tonight, nothing. Mm-hmm. So I had planned to take my dog to the vet this morning because she's got to get her annual shots. And uh, shout out to Durango Animal Hospital, by the way. That's where I take her. Um, Mark right, that on your bingo card, yeah, people. Right up right up the street, Durango and Twain, right up the street from the station. So I had planned on getting there at 6 a.m. right when they open because they don't do appointments for shots. It's a walk-in only thing. So... I set my alarm for 5.30, but about 5.15, I hear my dog making noise, and I, I it wakes me up, and the light is on in the kitchen, because I, I have a smaller apartment, and I my bedroom is right up against the living room in the kitchen, and, and the light's on, and I'm like, what what the hell's going on? And I, I wake up, and my son is playing with the dog, mm-hmm. and I, I'm like, I've got to be dreaming. What What is going on? And I get out of bed, and I'm like, what are you doing here? He's like, what do you mean, what am I doing here? I'm like, when did you get here? He's like, last night. I'm like, last night? What time? He's like, six. I'm like, where the hell have you been? And he's telling me that he fell asleep. He only wanted to sleep for a little bit. And he woke up. Or he felt he never woke up until like 5 o'clock to get up for school. So I had nothing in my house because I, I, I wasn't sure if he was coming or not. So I had... Usually he likes to eat some Count Chocula or or Lucky Charms for breakfast. I had no milk, so I couldn't eat cereal. I had no Pop-Tarts. The only thing I had is fruit, and I had a a breakfast burrito. So my son eats a breakfast burrito and an orange for breakfast. Good combination there. And then I have to take him to get on the bus to go to school because he goes to a magnet school quite far from where I live. So he takes the bus, and... It threw my whole morning in a loop. And I'm like, oh, what a, what a horrible way to start Wednesday. And, of course, we had Natalie booked for 8, and I'm texting you at, like, 7.30. Hey, Lindsay, I'm still at the vet. I don't know if I'm going to make it there. So, of course, I get done. Right as you finish, I pull in the parking lot with my doggo, bring her into the building, leave her with Lucy at the front desk, and all of a sudden I hear Misty barking as I'm in the studio with you. And I go out and... Our general manager is there. Her secretary is there. Craig from from promotions is there. Yep. Greg from Cop ninety two point three, the 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 morning show. Him and Huff. 
They're out in the hallway. Greg wants me to bring her in the studio. And Natalie, our, our GM, is like, no, 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 no dogs in the studio. So uh, quite an interesting morning. And uh, my dog was going through. I walked in the studio, and she, she right away, she's like, where are you? Where are you? Right. But nonetheless, a long way, long way to come around to say we've got Natalie Snodgrass coming up. It's an exclusive with just Lindsay. And then coming up at 4.30, we will have Bertie Fratto, who is uh, actually a mentor of mine. Um, he's been uh, doing this radio stuff for a long, long time. He, he was on CBS Radio, I believe CBS Radio, in Detroit, covered the Lions, the Red Wings, Tigers. And he was, believe it or not, he was at the Malice at the Palace right there when all that nonsense went down. And uh, so he's he's been around. He's a Fox Sports national guy, but... Uh, he, he's definitely a, a guy who is, I have always found to be very, very interesting because he can tell stories like very few people I've, I've met in this business. But he's coming up at 4.30, um, and we've, we've got a lot going on. But I want to ask you, before we get rolling into Natalie, I, I kind of get the vibe that the hockey community in Minnesota, and of course, you, you talked about it a little bit with Jamie yesterday, mm-hmm. it seems like like it's a big state, and there's I know the Twin Cities are, are, are very populous, but... It seems like, A, everybody plays hockey in the state of Minnesota, and B, everybody who plays hockey knows everybody who plays hockey. Is is, is that a pretty fair assessment of, yeah, of hockey in Minnesota? I mean, well, it's just we're a very active state despite the weather uh, situation up there. We're, we're very active when it comes to just getting outdoors, and a lot of that includes you know utilizing our lakes when they're frozen over. And so there's just there's a casual nature to people that play it because even if you don't play it, even on a club team or an in-house team, you're going to go play pond with your friends. Like we would have football guys over at the pond all the time in high school and we'd play boot hockey if they couldn't skate or we'd teach them how to skate. And so there's just this informality that everybody kind of knows. It's kind of one of those um, essential skill sets is, is to learn how to skate and you can just get introduced to it. Even in a, coming from a family like mine, which had no hockey players. And I was the first person in my family to play hockey where you see a lot where it can be generational or, or my cousins play. So they got joined up or my older sibling was playing. So I, I did that way. But then as you move through it and, and if you do play for club, if you do play in, 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 in high school, which it's really a unique beast when it comes to that, because there's really no other system that I've seen, even on the East coast because of a lot of the private schools and the boarding schools, it's public schools playing and, and kids staying with their high school teams. I was there through my junior year, and then I, I played one year at juniors. But you're right. Everybody kind of knows each other because as you move up in the ranks and people fall by the wayside, you know, maybe they have different priorities. Maybe they're not good enough. But the real ones know who the real ones are. And and Natalie Snodgrass has always been one of those real ones and comes from a very traditionally uh, hockey-centric family. But she's taken some great strides in her career. She's off to a great start uh, this season in her first season with the Minnesota Whitecaps. And so without further ado, let's just get to our conversation with her. And we have a very special guest joining us on the VGK Insider Show today, this Wednesday. One of my favorite hockey players ever of all time. But I'm going to give you guys her resume before we get to her unbelievable personality. Her name is Natalie Snodgrass. She's a Minnesota hockey product by way of Eastview High School. She was named the Pioneer Press Metro Player of the Year in 2016. From there, she went and played at UConn. Started off that career with 38 points in 38 games in her rookie season and ended uh, as a member of the 100-point club. There's only five members of the UConn program to ever do that. She now finds herself on the Minnesota Whitecaps and leading that team in points and goals so far. And joining me on that show today, Natalie Snodgrass. Natalie, thank you so much for joining us and taking time out of your super busy morning. Oh, Lynn, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. 
Yeah, you've been uh, you've been a busy gal. You've kind of been gallivanting all over North America just recently this weekend. I, I think you were in Toronto as a participant for the PHF All Star Game. I saw the pregame fits. It was all Team USA garb. Was that a Mighty Ducks two Team USA jersey, or my eyes deceiving me? No, you are absolutely correct. Um, I borrowed from a friend, so I can't take too much credit. But, uh, yeah, I think we we crushed the pregame outfits. Yeah, I'd have to agree, and I'm not sure what the score was, but I I know whenever you're out there, it's definitely an interesting type of hockey game. But I'm more interested. What did you have for for your pregame meal to prepare yourself for such a contest? Oh, you know, I think the go-to is always just some chicken and rice. Got a a carb up, um, nothing too special, but... Yeah, no, unfortunately, Team USA did not do too well on the score sheet, but we had a lot of fun regardless. That's great. And and what an experience for you to have in your first year as a member of the Minnesota Whitecaps. And, you know, we all go through this really weird transition after our college careers end, and you've c- decided to continue playing at a very high level. What has it been like to kind of keep yourself ready and prepared now that you don't have that college model to rely on? Yeah, for sure. I think, well, college – and UConn especially really prepared me for this next level. Um, I'm not sure what I would have done if I didn't have the college coaches and the resources and the support I had back in college. So um, I attribute a lot of success, and I'm so grateful for those people to get me here. Um, But, yeah, the transition has been – it's been challenging. There's definitely some, some new players and some higher level competeness to, to get used to, but uh, it's been a riot and it's been exciting to challenge me and um, kind of see where I lie in the competition. Yeah, I always try to size yourself up with the people that you're playing with in practice every day or in the games in general. But you went to UConn, as you mentioned. I went to St. A's up in New Hampshire. And I think I kind of had to create a separate personality for myself when I lived out there. And you kind of lead two different lives, especially when you you establish yourself and then come back for good. How has that been for you? Yeah. Um, you know, my time at UConn was, um, it was great because this, uh, the Audi schools, you know, they don't really have hockey as ice hockey, I should say, as the top priority, like the Midwestern states. So, um, you know, as a player with, some successes I had, I had those that target on my back kind of, I think. And I think that kind of made me the hockey player I am today just because I had to work extra hard to make my plays, make the time with the puck worth it. And I think it's really helped me come play pro now because I can actually have that freedom <laughs> because I am a rookie now. So I might not have that target on my back, which is great. Um, so, yeah, I might take advantage of that. You've done the Team USA jersey many times over the course of your career, but and, and you're going to be doing so again in the rivalry series. It was just announced yesterday that you're going to be invited to partake in the rest of those through the month of February. Do you have a personal rivalry with anyone? Anybody you're looking forward to lining up uh, against in particular? Oh, man. Um, off the top of my head, honestly, no. I, I just know that anytime you play Canada, regardless of what level, um, it's been a while since I have, but going to be a bloodbath and I'm excited to be a part of it for sure. 
Yeah, I think it's the best rivalry in sports. I was there when it was in Vegas, I think in December, and they lost three to two, which was unfortunate. But it's just, it's a great game. And, and what a special privilege for you to be part of that, at least at some level. And you've done that, you know, in, in U18s, you've scored a couple of big goals and, and hopefully you can do so again. How would you describe yourself as a teammate just in general? I know that probably comes with different layers, be it when you're a rookie and the Whitecaps versus when you're a captain at UConn or, you know, up with Team USA. But what, what do you bring to the locker room? Or at least what do you see yourself as? Um, that's a good question. I think in the locker room, honestly, my personality <laughs> perceives me I'm I'm quite the jokester I think um but on the ice I'm pretty serious um I'm pretty non-vocal so I kind of let the, the leadership come on Snotty, you're not vocal on the ice come on no I'm a I'm a lead by example gal I'll, I'll hype my teammates up but I'm not the first one to be barking in the locker room <laughs> fair enough fair enough Are you pulling any pranks in there Oh, yeah. You know, the, the soulmates have been um, the victims of my, my many shenanigans, so I apologize. But they give it right back to me. What's, so the, late, what's the latest thing you've done, and who was your target? Uh, Sid Morin, who was a 2018 Olympian. Um, you know, she's got quite the intimidation factor, so I think I just got to bring her down sometimes. So, <laughs> you know, I'll tie her skates before practice together, just. You know, leave, she's very OCD. She really likes her stall neat, so I'll always just leave my trash and uh, my garbage in her. Always <laughs> drives her nuts. So. Oh, it ab- absolutely does. Knowing Sid, she, it probably drives her absolutely up the wall. That's amazing, though. Yeah. You, was like, have you ever put tape on somebody's skate blades? No, but, you know, I might have to. Yeah, it might be a safety hazard. Maybe don't do that at the professional level. That could cause some more problems. <laughs> this ain't OS hockey anymore, is it, Nat? Not quite. Not quite. But uh, just looking back, because I, I know you pretty well from, from my days coaching at OS, and obviously you grew up in the Minnesota pipeline. But now that you've gotten older and, and you think back at your most developmental years, what are some of the key things that you did or experienced that shaped who you are today as a player and specifically your development uh, of your skill sets? Yeah, I think when I look at myself as a player, I think I'm most known for my shot. Um I have a quick release. I can shoot it pretty hard sometimes. I'm not the best on accuracy, but um, growing up, man, I shot a lot of pucks, mostly because my dad made me, but also because I just knew that it was something that, like, I could control. So I was working in the garage or just stick handling, and we would bring pucks out to, like, a baseball field just so I could shoot pucks against a cage. So um, I really took control. Um for a lot of that stuff, but honestly, the coaches I had, like Winnie, you, um, so many more, but, uh, you know, if you play in Minnesota, you got to work, work, work hard, so mm-hmm. you get noticed, so, uh, yeah, definitely had some help along the way, but. How old you know, were you, we're how old were you when that kind of flipped a switch in your brain where it's not just what dad tells me to do or what I should be doing for my development when you're like, I need to do this for me and it's up to me to make those decisions. How old were you? Oh God. Um, yeah, you know, you always think that you don't need your dad, but he's been <laughs> in my corner still as a 24 year old. Um, but I think, you know, when I played varsity hockey as like a seventh grader, when I thought it was really cool. Um, I probably, in that transition into high school, like freshman year, that was probably the time when I was like, 
okay, I should probably get my act together, um, you know, probably do some things on my own, maybe go work out and, you know, Google my own hockey programs that I can do rather than just go to the same summer camp over and over and over again. Right, because you get a taste of it. You're like, oh, I, let's just see how good I can actually get and, and actually take ownership of that. Not everybody does that because some people are just passengers and they can kind of rely on their talent to get them through. And you were never one of those people. And so I always appreciated that uh, about you. And you mentioned your shot. You mentioned what you did to develop that shot. So what's your favorite type of goal to score? Like paint a scenario for me that you're like, yes, this is going to give me the maximum amount of hit where I'm just, this is the peak experience in hockey. <laughs> Uh, favorite type of goal? Well, I feel like I would love to say, like, I would love a ESPN top 10 highlight reel, but, like, those just do not happen too often. So, mm-hmm. um, I feel like I'm more of a garbage goal type getter, like, take a shot, create some chaos, go to the net. Um, I do love a good power play. Um, I'm on the flank, so I can, uh, receive some one-timers if I can get them off. Um, they're not always that pretty, but. Uh, yeah, no, I just, I just love to shoot the puck. I love that. And, and when you're on that flank, just say the, one of the, the penalty killers comes at you with a little bit more pressure. What's your go-to move to dangle or avoid her? (laughs) Um, uh, I will lift my stick thinking that it's like the ultimate pump fake and I will just dish it right back up top. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that. Some people are just like downhill, must mow down, can, must go through straight to the net. But I like that. You got to you gotta pick your spots, right? Oh, yeah. Right on, right on. Where's the, where's the coolest place that you've ever played hockey? Be that formally or maybe it's just playing uh, playing out on the pond somewhere. Ooh. Um, I couldn't beat the atmosphere in St. Catharines for U18. I know that kind of ages me for a bit. Um, At 24 years old ages, you come on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't beat State at the XL Energy Center. Uh, Northeastern has a pretty nice rink. Mm-hmm. Any, you know, any rink that has a packed atmosphere. Uh, we've had it a few times at Richfield for our Minnesota Whitecaps home games. Um, I just feed off that energy, so. Yeah, I've seen that, and you guys—they made that switch from Tree to Richfield because Richfield's like we're going to give these uh, give these gals a, a locker room, which is you know important just in the respect view. But they fill it up, huh? It's a good time. Oh yeah, I think it was a controversial uh, switch when we made the transition from Tria to Richfield. But honestly, it's been the best thing for me just because one, it's so convenient; it's just a straight shot down a highway, and I'm there in ten minutes. But um, no, we we have our logo everywhere we have our apparel shop we have a bar we have our own locker room so i think we do really well for the community i think it's it's been a positive feedback and Mm -hmm. uh there have been some loyal loyal fans which i love yeah, I think it's all about commitment and, and a level of investment. It might not, not always look the way that we would think it would because it's just such a tough way to, for a lot of women who happen to play hockey to really get to that point where you can make a living off of it. You have that recognition. And we work just as long as the guys do, if not harder. And so I, I'm sure it's a little bit different of a situation, but probably a better one. And I talked to Jamie Hirsch yesterday in the show, and, and she works for NHL Network. She does stuff with Ma- Major League Baseball. She was on Valley Sports North for for um, Hockey Day Minnesota just this past year because she grew up in Champlain. Like she came came through the same pipeline we did. But I wanted to ask you yeah. what I asked her. 
because when we think about the progression of the women's game beyond that recognition, because we have two main North American pro leagues that haven't been able to come together yet. And I hear a lot back home about association consolidation. And we know how expensive this sport is and it continues to rise in costs. And then we have a lot of these kids basically becoming professional athletes at a very young age. Where do you think we're heading in your mind, at least in the women's game? Um, you know, when you put it like that, there's obviously some perceived caution. Um, but this league that I'm in, the PHF, uh, I think has been incredible, and it's made some very uplifting strides in the past few months. Uh, our salary cap has doubled three consecutive years in a row with our highest salary cap uh, coming next year mm-hmm. in the 23 season. So it's up to $1.5 million. So I think that just attracts, honestly, so many good players coming out of college. And even those still in college or going to college still have that, you know, that realization that I can still play prior to my four year or after my four years and, you know, actually make a sustainable living. So I think it's awesome. Um, I hope it just continues to grow and attract so much support from, you know, investors, sponsors, uh, you know, what have you, but um, so far, I'm really proud to be a part of it. Yeah, I think it's in good hands with people like you that know how to how to play what's needed to be done, but then also add that levity and that fun because we all know about the the personalities that most hockey players don't have. That is something that you and I have in spades. But before I let you go and proceed with the rest of your day, uh, I just want to get a little bit of an idea of what's on your pregame checklist. We all have our things that we have to have for our games to get us ready. What does that include for you? Oh, good question. Um, you know, whether or not it's a home or away game, got to get a good walk-in. Um, I definitely need a Starbucks coffee, not Dunkin', not Tim Hortons. I'm a Starbucks queen um <laughs> gotta get a good pregame outfit that's pretty important too and um just listen to a good playlist what's Nothing on the playlist to- what's the first song Ooh, you know my go-to lately has been britney spears give me more what? don't hate what me. a banger nat i just became such a bigger fan of yours i just, if that was <laughs> even totally possible you're even going with the throwback b spears gosh you're awesome i know <laughs> I know, I know. Well, let's just leave it at that again. Thank you so much for taking the time this morning, Natalie. Best of luck the rest of the season. Be that for the Whitecaps or Team USA. We will be watching. Thank you so much for having me, Lynn. Absolutely. Be well, my friend. You as well. I want to thank Natalie Snodgrass again for joining us. Uh, myself and Chris Chapman will be back on the other side of the break for the VGK Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas. We're back to the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM. All right. Welcome back to the VGK Insider Show, Fox Sports Las Vegas. Chris Chapman, Lindsey Brown rolling with you here on a Wednesday afternoon. Almost almost dinner time, right? Like I kinda I kind of enjoy the fact that this show is right between lunch and dinner because makes it go faster so you can get from one to the other. Quicker. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. Sure. You know, I'll, I'll I'll eat my lunch and then I'll, I'll I'll pop in, I'll do some show prep, and then I get done. I I put up the podcast and all of a sudden I'm like, I'm looking at my watch, I'm like, oh, it's Look uh, at this. it's taco time. Get that triangle going <laughs> yes. out in the trough, baby. So we are being joined now by uh, a friend of mine, a guy I, I've considered a mentor. 
uh, someone I've known. I, I actually didn't meet him until I came back from Asia. I'm now in my second stint in radio, but we've become friends, and it's a guy that I look up to, a guy who's just a tremendous, tremendous personality. And you can catch him on Fox National every weekend. The National? The National. The National. Yes, yes, Fox wow. Sports National. Um, he filled in for Jason Smith a couple weeks ago. I, I heard him uh, filling in for uh, Mr. How About a Fresca. But, Some big time uh, stuff there. Yeah, yeah. He, we, we, so we go back a few years, but I want to bring in Bernie Frano uh, from Fox National. And Bernie, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I don't know how much better or how much more I could barter you up in that intro, but uh, I, I think I hit all, all the key points. Well, good to be with you guys. How's everybody today? And I, Chris, are you want to be my agent now? Or? <laughs> I, I, I'm not good with the fine print, so I don't know if I would make a good agent. But uh, I could certainly talk up a good game. But uh, Bernie, of course, uh, we, 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 you and I, we, we've known each other a long time, and you know, I know your your origins in radio go back to uh, Detroit, and you were around. Yeah, you know, we, we we talked a little bit, probably for about an hour on Monday about just. Like I, I, I love our conversations because I could sit and talk to you and learn so much and so many things that you've been around for in in the Detroit sports scene, of course, now here in, in Vegas. But you were around for that rivalry with the Avalanche and, and the Red Wings. Million percent. I, I guess you could, Yogi Berra would say all three of us, we have different similarities. We love hockey. And, uh, of course, who can forget the Golden Knights inaugural season you had 10 pissed off ufas you had you know they went four lines deep you got a hall of fame goalie speed all over the ice they almost won a stanley cup but since then it's gone to me the wrong direction for a simple reason that i don't think they have an identity and the reason i bring that up is because cutting my teeth in radio in detroit starting in 1994 i had a great pleasure of covering scotty bowman and those detroit red wings teams and and that's my point of reference, because that was a work in progress over four years to win a Stanley Cup. They had a lot of setbacks. Uh, they had a lot of difficulties. But the one thing I will say is the minute Scotty got there, he employed an identity. And it was a defensive-oriented identity. And the first thing he installed was a thing you'll never see in hockey anymore. It's called the left-wing lock, right? You change the possession of the puck. The left-winger reads the play. You circle back to form a line. Three defensemen, you cover half the ice. It's designed to prevent... Odd man rushes. Well, the first year, the Red Wings, they're the number one seed, but then they lose to San Jose, a number eight seed in the first round. You know, the sky is falling and so on and so forth. But what does Scotty do? He retools, and he adds and, and builds, and he stayed with his identity, and he brought in players that will not only commit to a system that could play a system, and in 1995, they get to the Stanley Cup Finals, but they lose to the New Jersey Devils, who beat them at their own game with the neutral zone trap. And again, Scotty Bowman went back, looked at his roster, and uh, there was a there was a key play in Game 2 of the Stanley Cup Finals. It was 1-1. to Slava Kozlov was streaking at the ice, and all of a sudden, Scott Stevens comes out of nowhere and knocks him into the next week. And what it showed Scotty Bowman is he had the right system, he had the right commitment, but what they needed to do is go out and get more players that would be physical enough to complement a system. So you saw guys like Sean Byrne, Ray Shepard, Keith Primo wave bye-bye, and you brought in guys like Stu Grimson and Larry Murphy and Brendan Shanahan and Slava Fatisov and Mike Ramsey, big studs. 
and they had toughness and depth. And then all of a sudden you get to 96. This was the best team in the National Hockey League history to not win a Stanley Cup. 62 wins, 130 points, only about 181 goals the entire year. That's unheard of. Yet, and you, you now we're coming to the Mark Crawford, Scotty Bowman, Colorado Avalanche rivalry, which, of course, Sporting News deemed as the number one rivalry in all of sports. And the Red Wings lost to Colorado four games to two because of the infamous hit. It changed everything on uh, when, you know, Draper was hit from behind by Claude Lemieux, and it just changed the dynamic of the whole playoffs, and the Red Wings got eliminated. Of course, the the, the, the abs go on to win it. Well, the Red Wings were on a mission the following year, and Brian Shanahan will say this is the toughest team he ever was a part of in his entire career. And he had other guys like Joey Koser and Martin LaPointe and Darren McCarty. They broke through. They swept Philly 40 nothing. And what I learned in that whole process and watching this for four years and watching the master, and people talk about Bill Belichick, but for me, Scotty Bowman's the greatest coach in any level in any sport in history because he not only won nine Stanley Cups, he won them with three different teams in three different eras. And when he got to Detroit, he did it with three different goalies, Osgood Vernon and Dominic Hasek, who Buffalo no longer wanted. What I learned in that process that I think I already knew was that you don't want a Stanley Cup with show ponies. You want it with plumbers and pipe fitters. My beef, now let's circle back to the Golden Knights. And I don't think they're going to win the Stanley Cup this year. I don't mean to break up the party and people can throw rocks at me all they want. Uh, but I am still struggling after six years to identify what is, in fact, their identity. Now, Bernie, I you know, it, it, it's interesting because you and I talked and we, we, we came to this, you know, we, we, we had this discussion the other day. And what what is so why is it so difficult for for this team to find an identity like what is it because it seems like we're 6 years in and it seems like all 6 years this team has kind of had a different look is it the fact that there's just been no continuity that's been able to build like you talked about those red wing teams going through the steps of of I don't want to say failure but not succeeding at what their goal was you talked about losing to the sharks me being a Devils fan, I certainly remember when they when they lost to the Devils. Uh, and then they run into that that Avalanche team that just seemed like a team of destiny, right? They moved from Quebec City first year in Denver. They have Patrick Waugh that just kind of falls in their lap. But is it as simple as this team just has not been able to build the continuity to go through those those wars and those failures and, and together? Well, I don't cover this team on an official basis like I did the Red Wings, but I'll start. Let's put it this way. I think your initial impression is correct. We're on the third coach after five years. Now, I, I don't, you know, I heard stories as to why they fired Turk. I think that was a bad move. I'm very familiar with Pete DeBoer. He came out of the CompuWar system in Detroit. He's a smart guy. One of the issues we have potentially, and because I don't cover this team, is in Detroit you had the triumvirate. Okay, you had the owner, Mike Illich, and the general manager, team president, Jimmy DeVolano, who already knew what this looked like because he built the Islanders, and Scotty Bowman. Those guys, were in, those guys were in lockstep. What people don't realize is after the 95 season, some folks wanted Steve Eiserman traded. Somebody even went so far as to call him a cancer. Well, Jimmy DeVolano and Scotty Bowman talked about it, and they were undecided, and Mike Illich says, you can do whatever you want, but if you trade Steve Eiserman, you'll regret it the rest of your life. Well, Eiserman had scored 65 goals the year before. They called him in and said, Steve, 
We need you back on defense. Eiserman took one for the team. He scored 36 goals on that 96 team that was good enough to win the Stanley Cup. And they only scored 22 goals the year they beat Philly in four games. Where am I going with this? I have no idea if Bill Foley and George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon at all, and your head coach are on the same page. I don't know. Third coach in sixth year, there isn't a lot of continuity. And, you know, it's funny that first-year team in 2018, they were so good. Like I said, speed all over the ice, four lines deep, bunch of pissed-off UFAs and a Hall of Fame goalie. Well, I saw Detroit destroy the, 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 hope, the dream, hopes and dreams of Detroit in 2009 in Game 7. I was there at that game, one of the last games I covered before moving here. So I know what they had. And I used to talk to my guys back in Detroit, say, how would this team do against our 90s Red Wings teams? And we said, I don't know, they, they might beat us. They were that good. So where do you go from there? They haven't built. It's almost been like a fantasy team where you plug in, plug out, you try this, you try that, and it's almost like a mishmash of fantasy players. And, again, I'm not quite sure what their identity is. So uh, to your point, that's my long-winded way of saying clearly there has not been continuity. Yeah, Bernie Fratto, our guest here on the VGK Insider Show. Bernie, of course, of Fox Sports Radio National. Um, we're, we're just happy enough to be joined by Bernie right now. Yeah, and Bernie, let's let's expand a little bit on the wings, or at least the current state of the wings, because there's very few people that I would trust to get a franchise back on track, other than Steve Eiserman, and as you were just mentioning during his playing career. But he's become a prolific executive in this league, and I really like what they did in the offseason, bringing in Perron, switching up their goaltending, and you have a very very uh, transient roster. Meaning, there's gonna be a lot of guys coming off of it this summer, and some big decisions to make. So, if, if Steve asked you for some advice on those moves, what would you argue for? You cut out that last part. I'm sorry, what was your question, please, again? Yeah, if you had a meeting with Steve about the direction of this Red Wings team, what would you argue for? Well, look, they're they're patient in Detroit, all right? And there are guys that they've brought in recently, like Billy Husso, who have a great future ahead of them. And so what they're going to do is build from the core, which is what Steve learned from Jimmy Devolano, and through the draft. And they're not going to be as big in a hurry. So, you know, they're, they're hovering right around 500. They're, they're, they're a good team, not a great team. On any given night, they can compete. And I, I think it's a, it's a situation, you know, you saw, for instance, when Detroit came here a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things Scotty Bowman preached was communication. I think Steve Eiserman learned that from Scotty. They had that game in Arizona two nights before they got here, and they, they blew it in the last minute or two. They had a team meeting and said, we're not letting that happen again. Well, two nights later in Detroit, or here in, in Las Vegas, I think it went from 3 nothing to 3 2, and then all of a sudden, the last minute, you know, they're on thin ice, as it were. Billy Husa got the team together and said, Remember what happened? We're not letting that happen anymore. So, what I would argue for is continued patience and to build this team from the core and not try to be in such a hurry to, again, to go out and get those, I refer to them as show ponies. Don't, you know, don't be in such a hurry to go out and get those guys that feel like you got to win right now or put butts in seats. I'm not a Jack Eichel guy. My next-door neighbor's got a Buffalo flag hanging, and in November of 2021, he got acquired. He asked how I thought. I said, you don't want to ask me. He goes, you don't want to ask me either. I'm from Buffalo, and we're glad to see him go. Now, I'm sure he's a decent chap, fun guy to have a beer with, but when the heat gets hot and it's hard to breathe, I don't think he's a winner. So he's got to prove it to me. He's got to prove it to me. How do I juxtapose that with Detroit? I don't think Detroit is in a hurry to go out and get stars like that. They're going to continue to build through the draft 
and they're even willing to trade draft picks for young stars like they did just this last year. They had to trade a third-round pick to get Billy Huso. So, again, I think the build is patience. And that's another thing, guys. Perhaps in Las Vegas here, they are impatient and because they want to win a cup. Now, it's almost, you know, it's weird because the first season was was probably the greatest thing that could have happened for Las Vegas. But in some ways, it, it maybe was a little bit detrimental in terms of expectations. You know, if you come in and you, you kind of have the season that Seattle had last year, maybe the expectations are, are a little bit tempered, so to speak. I mean, when you and I spoke the other day, I, I, I made the comment, and Lindsay had brought up David Perron, that I thought that was a guy that I would have loved to see back in Vegas because I love the way he plays. I like that he's a bit of an agitator. But... Did, did the first season kind of set this team up for the, 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 the road that they've gone down since? Uh, very well possible. I mean, I think clearly that the the Golden Knights are a victim of their own success. Uh, the, you not only get to the Stanley Cup Finals, you win game one, and I think most folks in the city expected them to do to finish the job. And I was like, I, I, I was baffled. I've never seen it like this. Unless you go back to 1967, where you had Scotty Bowman's, you know, St. Louis Blues get to the finals, but they had like four expansion teams that year, so somebody had to make it, right? Long and the short of it is, since then, that's been the measuring stick of all future teams. And what I'm tired of hearing, I mean, even this year, back in, I think it was September, Bill Foley said, this is our best team ever. Does he really believe that? You don't have the Hall of Fame goalie anymore? I'm not sure you have the chemistry. And... Ever since, you know, June of 2018 when they got eliminated by Washington, they got beaten in the finals, you come back the following year and you add you add pieces like Max Pacioretty, et cetera. I don't need to name them all. And it's like, okay, this is our year. This is our year. We know what to do. This is our year. If I had a nickel for every time I heard this is our year, Elon Musk could be mowing my lawn. <laughs> so it's not their year. And they haven't built through a foundation of which, for instance, you mentioned the Kraken. If their goaltending holds up, all of a sudden you look at this team and how they backfill their roster, they're going to the playoffs. I don't want to face them if I'm the Knights. They're potentially a very high-powered team. Look at the way Winnipeg has built their team, right? They've got to stay healthy, but the problem is they've put in a bunch of guys that really play well together. How about the Dallas Stars? Very focused. They've only lost two games in a row once all year. So this is their competition, and if you look at how those teams are constructed and philosophically how those teams have gone about their business and trying to build toward a championship, I think it differs quite a bit from what the Golden Knights done have done where they just seem to kind of fill in every year. Well, and you mentioned three teams in Seattle and Winnipeg and Dallas, and they've gotten huge contributions from some of their young stars. I'm talking about the Jason Robertsons. I'm talking about the Matty Beniers. And and it seems like there's a change in the league, that there's this new level of offense that we don't just see in the regular season, but carry over into the postseason. I'm looking at the, that series last year between the Edmonton Oilers and the Calgary Flames, or even when L.A. was involved. Do you think that we finally have have kind of turned a quarter in, in terms of hockey evolution? Should we expect these high goal totals as we go through? through these postseasons? Absolutely. Million thousand percent. That's a really good point because when you consider the rule changes and the two-line passes and how hockey has evolved since the 90s, right, there was a league revival about 15 years ago after the lockout, and they put new regulations in and goalie gear was reduced and uh, shootouts were 
were part of the mix as well. You no longer see the red wing, uh, the uh, left wing lock, and the neutral zone track anymore. This is an offensive league. On any given night, you're going to see six goals in a National Hockey League game, and it hasn't always been that way. And when you're as scoring challenged as the Golden Knights are, that's a problem. And, yes, I realize things tighten up in the playoffs, but there's so much parity between the top and the bottom that at the end of the day, you're going to have to school goals. Now, goals. now what's interesting to me is I was – I got a little bothered last year when they kept using the injury excuse because there were injuries. But when you have 17 opportunities to score one shootout that might put you into the playoffs, why can't that happen? That's a cultural thing. So, to your point, yes, offense is here to stay in the National Hockey League, and I will say this, they're gonna, the, the Golden Knights are going to have to find ways to score goals and timely goals and not play from behind. Remember, you know, four years ago, it was 2 nothing Golden Knights before the seats are warm. Now they're always down one nothing, And so that's going to have to change. How, I can't tell you. i got to ask you, uh, just to get a little bit away from the hockey, because I am from Minnesota. I'm a Vikings fan. I've been told. We've learned that you covered Detroit. Are you bought in on Dan Campbell and these Lions? Because I'm kind of looking over the shoulder myself. Oh, I love Dan Campbell. Uh, the last year, I covered the Lions between 98 and 08, did pre- and post-game show, and I like to argue with people that I saw it all. I saw Barry Sanders last year, and in 2008, I saw uh, Scott or oh, Bowen, uh, Rod Marinelli go on 16. Well, Dan Campbell was a tight end on that 017. Big time personality, great guy. He is exactly what you see. There's no phoniness about him. And four years ago, he had an interim shot in Miami and really did a good job. They have not only bought into this guy, players want to play there, players want to be there. And, you know, they've got to backfill in on their defense and their linebackers and their, and their defensive backs, but they've got an outstanding offense and probably their best offensive line since 1992 when they won their last playoff game. Now, look, Minnesota had an outstanding year, but it's pretty tough to win in the playoffs if you have the 31st-ranked defense. So we'll see if that gets – you know, they haven't hired their new defensive coordinator. I'm told it might be Mike Pettin, but they haven't, they haven't, I don't think they've made the decision yet, have they? They have not. I think they are waiting to see some guys go through their head coaching interviews and hopefully get some from the pickings there. So here's the deal with Detroit, and this is almost like the curse because I've seen this a million times as well. That's what the Lions are going to go into next year, and they're going to have expectations. They, they only that only happens about once every seven years, and it's, it's what I call quantum physics. All of a sudden, when they're expected to win, right, then things change. So. Don't know what's going to happen in Green Bay if Aaron Rodgers stays, but they seem to be in the decline. The Bears are going nowhere fast. Trust me, Minnesota will be very good again next year. But Detroit proved they can play with them head up and, and split with them. So uh, I'm all in on Dan Campbell. I'm all in on Sheila Hanford as the owner. She's done an outstanding job. I'm all, uh, all, I'm all in on Brad Allen, the GM. They've drafted extremely well the last three years, and the culture is ever so slowly changing. Now you got to do it on the field. All right, Bernie, tell people where, where they can catch you and, and where, how they can listen to you. Well, first, thanks for having me. I'm a Fox Sports Radio uh, National, you know, 600 affiliates nationwide, Sirius XM Channel 83, and iHeartMedia. My show signs on 11 p.m. Friday night, 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. This is Pacific. And then Saturday night, 11 p.m. Pacific to 3 a.m. And then, of course, as you mentioned, uh Got an opportunity to do a lot of fill-ins over uh, the last few years. Filled in for Ben Maller, filled in for Jason Smith, 
and Mike Harmon, the odd couple with Rob Parker right on down the line. So catch me there, and good to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem, Bernie. Thanks a lot. We'll, we'll catch up soon, man. All right, take care. All right, that was Bernie Fratto. You can catch him on Fox Sports Radio. We're going to head to break. It is the VGK Insider Show, Fox Sports, Las Vegas. Chris Chapman and Lindsey Brown holding down the fort for you.